Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Fish Tales. Thank you to everybody for all the birthday wishes after the last episode. It was awesome that so many of you got in touch about the fly giveaway, although almost everyone right from the start thought they had missed out on them, which wasn't the case at all. They have now all gone, but on the next giveaway, do get in touch because there's always a good chance. I also really appreciate everyone's feedback on future topics and guests for the show. The most requested topics so far were tackle setups and fishing tactics for Baltic salmon, and more in-depth knowledge about Baltic salmon as a species and what sets them apart from their Atlantic cousins. So on today's episode, I'm going to go with Baltic salmon. For the tackle and tactics, I'm going to do much more focused episodes specific to the rivers, the fisheries and the guests that will come up in the near future. As so far, I would say there isn't a one size fits all setup for Baltic salmon rivers and the same could be said for any salmon fishing destination really. So where to begin with Baltic salmon? The first thing to know is that Baltic salmon share the same genetics as Atlantic salmon, categorised as Salmo Salar. However, as we already know, Atlantic salmon have minor differences in their strains relating to the rivers they were born in, to which they specifically return to to spawn. There can also be a small percentage of fish that stray to other rivers, which is believed to be one of nature's assurances. But as the species has evolved over time, these river-specific fish have also altered in shape, length and muscular ability. For example, I would associate a Deveron fish with being a little shorter and stouter on average compared to that of a spay fish that I would characterise as a typically longer and more streamlined version. This is why measuring both length and girth of the fish has always been more accurate in estimating weight than just its length. This also applies to Baltic salmon, but with one major divergence from Atlantic salmon, which we can trace back to the last ice age. Some 10,000 years ago, the melting ice caps created the Baltic ice lake which connected the Atlantic Ocean. This allowed the Atlantic salmon to migrate to the rivers in this area. Over time, the sea once again froze, cutting the route to the Atlantic Ocean and the Baltic salmon were trapped. Isolated for over 2,000 years before the passage to the Atlantic reopened, the migration cycle was now broken and the Baltic salmon largely remained within the Baltic Sea, though retaining most of its shared traits and characteristics from their Atlantic counterparts. Here is where it starts to get really interesting. As I mentioned before, Salmo Salar have this amazing quality that they can evolve and adapt to the environment that they will spend their life in. When we look at famous Atlantic rivers on the Kola Peninsula like the Yakanga and in the northern rivers of Norway such as Alta, it's clear to see why the strain of salmon are famed for their size and strength to be able to run the big powerful rivers they come from compared to smaller rivers such as Scottish Spate rivers and smaller shallower Icelandic rivers. Although they have big fish as well, on average they're smaller fish suited to the environment that they're in. This clearly maps to Baltic salmon also. The first thing you notice when searching the Baltic rivers is their geography. The Norwegian and Swedish border is largely defined by their peak mountainous regions, of which the ascent on the Norwegian side is short and steep, with much of their waterways flowing out into large fjordlands, and the Swedish side is much longer and a more linear descent to the sea, of which there is far less brackish fjord waters. 
To give you a clear picture, the Alta has roughly 88 kilometers of fishable water and a total watershed of around 240 kilometers. The Tawny River has a total watershed of around 1,160 kilometers, with two massive tributary rivers, the Lineo and Morneo, that also have salmon spawning in them. Both are big rivers with powerful rapids, but the Tawny River fish have to travel a considerably longer distance to reach their spawning grounds. Many of the big rivers in the north of Sweden have large sections of lake-like systems with slow water, allowing the salmon to pass at the same pace as they would at sea. These fish will easily cover 90 kilometers a day. These large bodies of slack water are divided by long sections of hard rapids and small glides within them where it can be possible to catch them with a fly. The rapids are so intense and the spawning grounds are so far upstream, between 100 to 300 kilometers inland, that the fish have to have formidable power and endurance to reach their mark. This is why I would characterize Baltic salmon as the hardest yet most rewarding fish to chase and catch, as they're not only difficult to tempt to a fly when their sole focus is to power through the river, but when you get to hook them, you have that same power and determination of the fish combined with the power of the river against you. Straightened hooks, broken leaders, hearts and dreams is something everyone must experience before earning their stripes in Swedish Lapland. The Baltic salmon life cycle is not so dissimilar. They stay in their prenatal streams for one to four years before heading to sea at around 10 to 30 centimetres in length. But thankfully, in the South Baltic Sea where the Baltic salmon go to feed, the waters are plentiful with herring and sprat. This is where I find there's a major difference with Baltics. As this is their main food source as opposed to crustaceans, Baltic fish tend to grow to larger sizes very quickly, over one to four years and they have even evolved to have sharp, pronounced teeth to aid them in their quarry, a sight you would normally associate with Pacific species. Last season, we came across a male fish in June that was struggling to make his way up the pool, and eventually it drifted into the bank. We could see the fish had some disease, possibly a type of syphilis we'd seen before. Uh, it's not that uncommon for a river like the Tawny that has a large average run you know, anywhere between 50 to 100,000 fish per season. It was the first that I'd seen it personally, though. Um, after taking the fish from the water to inspect it, we lifted the jaw to reveal its teeth and remarked on the size of them. The instant reaction comment was herring munchers. One other major difference in Baltic salmon is that it should be known the origin of Gyrodactylus salaris, or GS, comes from these rivers, and the disease exists to this day. However, the Baltic salmon are immune to this disease. This isn't something I know about in the greatest detail yet, but I have other guests lined up who can shed some more light on this in the near future. But for anglers travelling to Sweden to fish, there's no cause for concern. If you disinfect your equipment both before and after visiting, you'll be fine. Um, if you would like more information on how to do this, there's plenty of sources on Google, or please feel free to get in touch with me and I'll send you everything you need to know. So, so far we have an Ice Age Viking salmon with sharp teeth, a bodybuilding diet and one hell of a commute. But why are we only starting to hear about them now? What's all the fuss about? I believe the secret is well and truly out now that Baltic salmon have had a bit of a resurgence in the last five to ten years, particularly in Swedish salmon rivers. And it's quite refreshing to know that there are some success stories surrounding the species. 
I say resurgence because, unfortunately still, the current status of Baltic salmon is quite poor. As much as 52 salmon populations from the original 80 wild river populations are extinct. This largely was caused by hydroelectric dams, overfishing and pollution, something that's easily relatable for any avid salmon angler. During the late 19th and 20th century, Sweden began industrialising on a mass scale, with a trade of economic wealth at the expense of the degradation of the natural environment, waterways, and unfortunately the people residing in the river valleys. The main causes of problems in the river stem from hydropower dams, damage and pollution to the rivers, and unsurprisingly, overfishing. In Sweden, there is still no legislation to enforce power companies to build passageways for fish and other aquatic life, resulting in a lot of damaged ecosystems, some irreversibly. Without access to the spawning grounds, the salmon strain of those rivers simply cannot survive. Another man-made issue for the rivers came from the old way of foresting and using the rivers to float timbers downstream, to be sawn for construction or processed in paper factories. This was a vital part of many Baltic countries' growth. Unfortunately, the wild rivers are full of big boulders and meander through valleys, so the rivers were artificially straightened and the large boulders removed to ease the passage of timber. This caused a catastrophic effect on thousands of kilometres of natural waterways that quickly became sterile. Of course, one of the larger issues that seems to affect all marine life currently is overfishing as well. It suffice to say that salmon species globally have always been a significant food source, especially for local communities. But for many decades, overfishing of salmon has had an increasingly damaging effect on spawning numbers, to the extent that only four of the remaining Baltic salmon rivers could be considered to have strong stocks. However, the situation in the past decade is improving significantly. Many of the remaining wild salmon rivers now have an upward trend with increasing runs of fish. Naturally, there is still a lot of work to do and it requires some focus in all areas where we know we can reverse and I'm not talking specifically about restocking either. We know that artificial fish passages can make a huge difference to rivers with hydro dams, allowing fish to safely travel up and down streams. And one company in Sweden has made considerable efforts to build fish passes at every one of their dam sites. And with the passage of information to local residents, it's gained a lot of new customers and support for their efforts. There is still a lot of work to be done when it comes to other power companies, as regulations around the subject date as far back as 1918 and they're still in force. Modern amendments have to be made to bring them in line with today's requirements of migratory fish species and their waterways. Something that can be dealt with directly, however, is the restoration of natural waterways previously altered by timber floating. There is a considerable effort to correct the path of the rivers, adding large boulders and building gravel spawning beds in opportune places, which should pave the way for the return of spawning and strengthening of Baltic salmon. One of the clearest success stories that can be seen is on an Atlantic river in Denmark called Skjern, where the annual returns of the fish have skyrocketed after supporting what little remained of the original wild stock through recoursing the river. Results from these projects have been swift with the return of fish and other wildlife in the area. 
But to solve the issue of overfishing, some hard action had to be taken to manage a more sustainable limit on wild fish catches. Both Sweden and Finland banned long line fishing in the Baltic Sea, which clearly resulted in a massive boost in spawning fish in the rivers. Mixed population fishing has also been replaced with estuary fishing with specific quotas. Although there has been many discussions around the value of salmon to local economies, weighing up largely catch and release with minimal retention tourism against individual commercial fishermen. Both warrant the chance of an income, so adopting the methods of the ASF and their efforts to protect Atlantic salmon in the feeding areas of Greenland, we have the Baltic Salmon Fund, who are contributing to the commercial fishermen to voluntarily stop fishing on weak salmon stocks and allow for a steady and sustainable growth in tourism. Something that's very close to me as I started as a tour operator in the region a little over four years ago. Not only do I want to see the species survive and thrive, but I take my role as a tour operator contributing to an economy boost very seriously and that can only happen with the survival of these fish and their rivers. If anyone is interested in this the Baltic Salmon Fund accepts donations from the public to then use for their efforts in Baltic salmon conservation so you can become a salmon protector as they call it. For more information go to balticsalmonfund.com. Here you can switch to English for more details but if you would like to donate you can stay on the Swedish landing page and use the first link in the navbar on the top left. It has two asterisks either side of it. This will take you to a new page and you want to click on the big blue button towards the bottom of the screen. Here you will find four options to choose from and they're between annual and monthly subscriptions. Your support is very much appreciated. Another notable champion of the Baltic salmon who is a keen angler and is situated in a very important position at the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry in Finland is Sanna Koljonen. I hope I said that right, Sanna, if you're listening. Um, she has been working as a senior specialist in legal affairs around national fishing legislation and related law propositions. She's also involved with the negotiation and implementation of intergovernmental agreements at border rivers between Sweden, Finland and Norway, of which the Tawny River and its Baltic salmon are one of them. Part of her work has brought about the implementation of a new fishing regulation to try and tackle illegal fishing, where any fish retained outside of the legal requirements could receive a fine of up to €7,500 and potentially court proceedings. This should go a long way to make people think twice about pushing the limits of what is legal. Great work there and something that should be championed across all countries and rivers in need of salmon protection. So hopefully this episode has helped reveal a bit more about the mystery of the Baltic salmon and the challenges they still face. For me personally, they're my favourite fish on the planet and everyone I see or come into contact with is special. As of today, there are 125 days to go until the open salmon season in the north and it all begins again. Thank you so much again for listening. I'm over the moon that so many of you are taking the time to give it a go and to get in touch with your stories and wishes for future episodes. This can't exist without your support, so I am truly grateful. If you want to help spread the word, it would be a tremendous help if you would consider sharing this podcast with your fishing friends and sharing links on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you like. Don't forget to subscribe yourselves so that you can get notifications when new episodes come up and please feel free to get in touch with suggestions or just to talk about fishing. I'm always happy to chat and help where I can. But until next time, this has been Fish Tales. I've been your host, Jay Bartlett, and I'll catch you all very soon. And as always, 
tight lines. 